whether you're a banker or a real estate agent, uh, an NFL quarterback, uh, an NBA player, or a sales executive. And, um, and I think that um, I have been someone who has always just tried to learn from the people I'm working with or working for. It's obvious that this person's incredibly thoughtful and humble. And we're proud to share that Mike Levine, known in the greater sports ecosystem as Vino, is an investor and advisor to the Premier Lacrosse League. And I was lucky to sit down with him for about an hour of his time to share his story and ours. We discuss his rapid rise early in his career, the hard knocks and lessons he calls them failures that were seminal to his professional growth, and how he's now led CAA into the stratosphere of best in class in sports. Particularly salient to the PLL investment is how Vino describes, quote, players having become more empowered through digital and social, end quote, and why that helps a smaller sport like lacrosse compete with the mainstays of football, basketball, and baseball. Suiting Up is a show that explores the psychology, playbook of tools, and strategies of the most influential people in sports, entrepreneurship, and entertainment. Vino crosses all three industries. Enjoy my conversation with our PLL investor, advisor, and a mentor to both Mike and myself, Mike Levine. It's great to be back in your office, man. It's one of my—it's actually my favorite office in New York City. Really? Yeah, it's I, unbelievable. I love that. That makes me very happy. Yeah, and and you know we're both sports people, so I love all of the decor as well, and what you feel at, at the highest level in sports and sports marketing, sports business. You all stand for that here at CAA, and so you, well, you know the story behind why I share an office. Tell it. So, you know, I share an office with one of my best friends, our global head of sales, Paul Danforth. He was the first hire that me and Howie made, you know, back in 12 years ago. And um, we started and there were no two offices that were anywhere near each other. And we couldn't, you know, be separated that we were supposed to be going through this together. We were in this surrogate stepchild New York office for a Hollywood talent agency and so we cleared out a storeroom, and the two of us, we told the, the office manager to see if we could just put two desks and, and two phones in this storeroom, and we did it, and we loved it. It was, it was no carpeting, and it was an open ceiling, so it echoed, and it was impractical, but we just fed off of each other from the very beginning. And then, you know, about a year or two later in our old office building, we opened a floor for CA Sports as we had sort of gained some traction. And they laid out the floor plan and the two of us, you know, were next to one another. And I just told our COO, this looks great. Can we just eliminate, not put up that wall right there between yeah. mine and Paul's office? Yeah. And our COO, who's a great guy, he's a 65-year-old, you know, sage who I still look to these these days as as the grown-up. Um, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, there's no two agents at CAA that voluntarily share an office and I was like, no, you know, we've been doing it, and Paul and I make each other laugh, and we, we encourage each other, and it just it saves us time because we're of one brain, and he listens to my calls, I listen to his. When I'm down, he picks me up. He's always up, so I don't ever have to pick him up, but it, it was something <laughs> that we did, and it became a really important sort of um, place for our sales organization, our guys and women to come in and, and rally. Yeah. So when we built this office – there was no doubt that we were going to set up, you know, this sort of lounge atmosphere. And That's we have cool. seats, if you notice, for about nine or ten. And we could probably fit 14 or 15 in here comfortably, which we do. And we celebrate our wins because in sales, wins come much less frequently than losses. 
So you got to enjoy the wins and fight through the losses and pick each other up. It's such a great origin story that, that you've now been able to maintain all the way through the top. And there are a couple of things that jump out at me. One is that the rest of the sports agency world was saying, no way can CAA, which is traditional entertainment, uh, talent representation business, get into sports. And you led that charge with Paul. Uh, so there's the, the nostalgia of continuing that growth and maintaining close. And then your background rooted in sports and, and how that was a non-traditional ask. And leadership was like, whoa, we're putting two executives in the same room. Every executive's used to having their own big office and that autonomy. And uh, my guess is you thrive off of teamwork. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a, there's two points there of what you said. One is that what the attitude we've taken with this company from the very beginning in in CA sports is that it's very much a team sport atmosphere. We've had incredible athletes who are single sport, all Americans, and it just hasn't worked as well. Hmm. We had a wrestler here who was an exceptional collegiate athlete, national champ, and a great worker, really good brain. Um, and he thrived on his own, but he didn't fit long-term here. And we have found that team sport athletes are perfect for us. We are we are an organization that likes to over reward the assist, and really sort of revels and cherishes um, wins that come outside of your box, outside of your day job. Um, so so yeah, this is a team sports environment. I think one of the things that that strikes me as I listen to your perspective on this office is that I give CA a lot of credit. They had had incredible success for thirty two or 33 years before they entered sports and they did it one very specific way in Hollywood the Hollywood talent agency it's it's uh, camaraderie and collaboration and information sharing but there were so many techniques that were very um, Hollywood state and they didn't necessarily apply to sports in sports hmm. we started from the very beginning wanting the most junior assistants to participate as if they were full-time agents and executives and that inclusiveness has continued for the last 12 years and that's part of the reason that paul and i feel like sharing an office works mm -hmm. and having an open glass wall works is that the door's always open yep. we're here for everyone to see come on in join us let's do this together we're going to suffer through losses we're going to enjoy the wins together mm -hmm. i love that over reward the assist i'm underscoring that and we'll build a quote card and, and push that out everywhere. We're going we're gonna to take that mantra, especially, especially with PLL. I, I think that that's amazing. And, and so I'll jump into quickly Premier Lacrosse League because you have been uh, an incredible advisor and investor. And, uh, and you mentioned that the fabric of CAA is in team sports is what lacrosse is. And we've always felt, and back to your playing days and mine currently, and your team's representation of Rob and Jack Kelly, who are two of the best players in the world and in the CAA offices, is that there's so much upside here. We just launched this week. You've been in the foxhole with us for over a year. You were in my first touch point was March 2017 around this podcast. Yes, I remember <laughs> the email that came from you. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. I couldn't believe that Mike Levine, who the industry knows as Vino, responds inside of, of five minutes. This is actually one quick comment I always make to Mike, who's far better over email than I, is that it, it's, it's amazing – the world's best CEOs and business leaders and would certainly put you in that category, how responsive they are, even to just, you know, general inquiries. And, and it's something that uh, I've shared with you before, but, but 
uh, will continue to do so through our relationship. It, it was really meaningful to me. And uh, I appreciate I appreciate you saying so. It's um, it's not something that I feel like I deserve a pat on the back for. Um, it's sort of like having good manners, please and hmm. thank you. It's the way things are supposed to be done. Um, I think as a salesman, uh, my entire career and the, the way I still think of myself is as a salesman, I send so many lines out there, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a meeting request, whether it's an email for so many years, 25 years I've been doing this and I've been ignored so many thousands of times um, that I find myself worried about a salesman's jinx that if for some reason I ignore a request and or I blow off a phone call or an email or huh. a text, that the sales gods, like the golf gods, will come back and haunt me. So I, um, I just got in the habit at a very young age of, of responding, um, even if it's a no. No is the second best answer that I can get as a salesman. Yep. And a quick no is better than a slow no because totally. you can move on, cross <laughs> yeah. it off the list, and go to the next one. Yes. Um, so for me, um, I knew of you uh, from afar and as an observer of sports marketing and obviously as a fan of lacrosse, I was, uh, I was always taken by um, your sort of rebellious approach to your own brand. And, um, and I really had admired what you did. And I knew you were an Octagon client, frankly. Yeah. And I was impressed that you were reaching out to me being you know, part of a competitive agency. Um, so I was intrigued and I was eager to you know, engage with you. And frankly, I'm so glad I did. You've become a fast friend of mine and um, you know, someone who's just really thankful that you reached out. I wanna get back to the PLL yeah. um, and, and sort of why I'm involved and yeah. why I'm, I'm enthusiastic and passionate about it. Um, I've been investing in venture early stage businesses since I was 22 years old. A friend of mine from Cornell started an internet company in 1994 and I was struck by, you know, his passion and his drive and his focus. Mm. Um, it was an internet advertising agency. Essentially it was a, it was a gaming company that became an internet advertising company ended up going public as 24 seven media. Jeez. Um, great guy, great success. And I realized early on for me, who's not someone who pours through balance sheets and, and who understands financial models as well as someone who might be a trained MBA or an analyst, I'm a jockey better. And I always was when I used to go to Saratoga as a kid. Like, I didn't know enough about breeding of horses. Yeah. So I used to bet on the jockey. And I think in, in um, venture and private equity investing, betting on a jockey has served me really well, um, especially when it's a company that can be driven by will. Um, the will of a founder, uh, the integrity, the honesty, and the work ethic and the hunger of a, of an investor, of a founder as an investor to me is is really five or six of the top 10 factors I think about. So when I met you and Mike and I heard your story um, and all the work that you had done by the time you had come to see me, I was, uh, I was in hook, line, and sinker from the very beginning. And I think it's important that the audience um, knows that over the course of the 24 or 25 years prior, I had probably been through one or two conversations or pitches per year about how lacrosse was going to be changed and how professional lacrosse was 
finally here. And, mm. and I was, was, you know, someone who wanted it to be true. And I, I, I really did. But I really felt like in the last 10 years as I've watched the business evolve that professional lacrosse was broken. The fact that the two pro leagues overlapped in schedule and that players had to choose between the indoor and the outdoor game was silly. The fact that, you know, I had lived in the tri-state area for all these years, have three kids who love lacrosse and hadn't traveled out to Long Island to go to a Lizards game. Shame on me. Um, But the fact of the matter was it wasn't working. Hmm. And um, my son, who's 11, who, you know, obviously idolizes you guys uh, in a way that he should, you know, can't watch those games the way he wants to. This summer was like a a treat to be able to watch the world games, even though they were on at crazy times, (laughs) you could still DVR them. And, and for him to be able to see you and Rob and, and all the best players, Schreiber, all these guys play on a regular basis over the course of a two or three week period was, was a treat. So for me, um, the plan, and, and I had talked to Howie, my partner, and, and, and David O'Connor, Doc, who's also an advisor yep. of the PLL, who played lacrosse at Dartmouth in the early 80s. The, the move was, let's, let's try and buy out the MLL and the NLL. Let's tear it all down, and let's build up a new, a new league and get it right. And, and I came into the meeting with you and Mike thinking that that was the only way this could work. Right. And I challenged you with it. Yep. And you said, we agree. We thought about that. We've worked on that. We spent months and months trying to figure out if we could make that happen. And maybe you could. But we think our plan accelerates you 18 to 24 to 36 months and saves 100 to $150 million in the process. So let's try it. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Well, first of all, really appreciate the the compliment, and uh, I know Mike shares the same uh, feeling as I do toward you and, and how strategic you've been. Uh, your vision, vision, and your strategy, and when you talk about entrepreneurs and and you've been a part of startups and, and the agency world and such, vision and strategy are so important. EQ is so important. There are, and I, I feel similar to you. There are far better, more qualified folks on my team that can dig into a financial model and, and understand the ins and outs of the pro forma as it evolves into our P&L and, and line of sight on revenue and keeping expenses in line. Um, that's critical to building the right business, and we're stewards of our investors' capital. But uh, let's not forget, brother, you are you understand a business model. You, you, did, you did come back to us for several months, and you're like, hey, what about this? What about? And that's, that's what we get. That's what's valuable out of investors and advisors. So I know like, one, one of the, the, the conversations we've had over the past year is would love to have you on this podcast. You're incredibly humble, and, and you don't do much, if at all, anything public-facing. Yeah, this is my first podcast <laughs> of all times. So, I'm, so, I'm, 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 I'm really uh, – I'm a little nervous about it. <laughs> it's great to have you on it. And, uh, again, wanted to flag it for, for the listeners that uh, Vino here is, is being humble. He's is very astute around uh, the business and the models that, that we had in front of them about a year ago into now. And so this week we're sitting here and we just – just made our announcements. A uh, few people in this world know sports marketing better, and you were part of our strategy and PR and comms. Um, as you've seen the first three days go, and we just put Mike and my podcast out yesterday. This one will come out in a few days too. 
what were your impressions? And oh, I'm then thrilled. I'm so happy. You give know, us some feedback too. You and you I have been working um, on this uh, and with Mike from, I don't know, about a year. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, it's so nice to sort of have the world know what we've all been doing for yeah. the past year. You guys have worked so hard and made so many important steps and milestones getting to yesterday or Monday. Um, so uh, I would say, first off, it was so fun watching the Bloomberg TV spot. Um, <laughs> Mike did a great job. He was nervous, yeah. but he looked relaxed on yeah, TV. He Hearing good. him talk about it on the podcast um, impressed me because I thought he was pretty cool as a cucumber yeah. on the air. Um, I thought you guys did great. I think that I would go back a step and and say to you that I was never worried about the PR on this project. Mm. When we met the first time, what struck me was the combination between you and Mike. Mike was this really thoughtful, analytical, you know, CEO type who really knew the model inside and out. And I knew your passion. I knew your understanding of current media outlets. And I felt like you were the perfect person to be the flag waver for this brand and for this new league. You were, this was a league about players, yep. players first, yep. digital first. 100%. That's the way you live your life. You're a player, the best, and you're digital first in your brand. So honestly, I was never concerned about the PR. I felt like this league was starting off on the first tee with a Dana White-like, you know, zealot advocate with you as one of the founders. And that really was going to be important when the world heard about this story. And I thought that Monday was a great start. I thought that it rang incredibly, credibly. I got so much feedback from people who are in my life who knew nothing about my involvement in the PLL and who were so impressed and so glad and so sort of envious of the fact that I had been working on this with you. And it, it just energized me to, to sort of see how far we had come yeah. in the time we get lost in the weeds, right? We're, 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 we're thinking about all the things we haven't yet done yeah. and all the things that need to get done as opposed to sort of stepping back and realizing what's been accomplished to date. So I thought it was a great start. I yeah. think it's, um, it's funny that it's being called a start because this doesn't feel like the, right, the starting right. line yeah. for us. <laughs> um, but um, I, I'm, I'm super jazzed. I've gotten great feedback, cool. people around our company, um, people around the business. And I thought that there was um, really no negatives that came from Monday. We've been, you know, sort of dealing with a PR battle with the existing professional leagues. Yeah. And that's understandable. We're, right. we're sort of trying to build a better mousetrap. And we think that we have a, a solve for the fact that it just hasn't worked. Yeah. So I understand where they're coming from, but um, we're not looking backwards or looking to the left or right. We're going forwards. Yeah, that's great. We try to never make a decision without first checking our online reviews for feedback. It's actually one of the best and fastest ways to improve, even if that task is hard to digest. And as Vino shares on the show, plus our attention to users when we launch the PLL, is that feedback can help hone your pitch and product or service. Cue Podium, simple messaging, reviews, and insights for local businesses. Did you know that 83% of happy customers are willing to leave a review, but only 23% actually do? So with Podium, you can take control of your online reputation by giving your customers a voice, not just the handful of angry ones. And Podium users now see a 6% increase in revenue just from those positive reviews. The way you show up online determines who shows up at your door. 
And go to podium.com forward slash Rabel right now for 10% off a monthly subscription. Become the obvious choice online where reviews matter. Again, podium.com forward slash Rabel and get started by saving 10%. Hiring without a strategy is not smart. You know what else isn't smart? Making the lottery the centerpiece of your retirement plan. Or letting your friends pick your karaoke song. Tom Schreiber, just kidding. But you know what is smart? Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross today to help you find and hire that right candidate. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Instead, it finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, their educational background and experiences for your tailored job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. And that's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., That rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. And right now, Suiting Up podcast listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash C-R-O-S-S-E. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. The endurance. And it reminded me of this segment that we're in right now is that launch is, is important. We feel like we did a pretty good job. Let's keep up the endurance now because in sports, I, I, I think, and I've observed over time, whether it's new leagues or, or even, you know, incumbent mass leagues that, uh, you, it, it's just, it's a marathon. Yeah. No and question about it. It's not that different than, um, than team sports. I mean, yeah. you come out, you win the opening face off, you score a goal, Great. You feel great. Oh, we prepared. We got it going. We hit a fast break. We scored. Yeah. But by the way, they're dropping the ball again in a minute. Yeah. The other team go down and score on you. And, you know, you see it in the NBA all the time. Your, your team comes out. Uh, they, they get a 10, 15-point lead. And, and you realize when you watch enough NBA games, this game is going to ebb and flow. And talk to me when there's two minutes left. Yeah. Do we have a 15-point lead then? Then I'll feel good. Yeah. If not, this is going to this is gonna. This is going to be a marathon. When you think about operating, whether it's you know phone calls that you made when you were a 22-year-old starting in the business to now you know high-level BD that you're working on with major sports leagues and stadium rights deals and athletes, you're, you're living in, in sports. And so there's that shared commonality that you grew up with that you keep now and you even get to interact with your clients like Aaron Rodgers and Dwayne Wade. How much do you find yourself pulling from them as best in class and them pulling from you? And, and what's, what are those relationships like? Uh, it's a great question. And the answer is I pull a lot from them. Um, I think that um, excellence is excellence. <laughs> Whether you're a banker, a real estate agent, yeah. uh, NFL quarterback, uh, an NBA player, or a sales executive. And, um, and I think that um, I have been someone who has always – just tried to learn from the people I'm working with or working for, um, whether those were buyers early in my career who sort of took the time to try and explain to me why my pitch made no sense and and why um, there was no reason for them to buy whatever I was selling. But but those explanations helped me. It helped me figure out how I wanted to position the next, the next set of pitches um, and I think that the relationships that I've been lucky enough to have with, let's call them um, elite athletic superstars and icons, 
um, is is something that I benefit from every day. I think that the the commonality is that they work so hard mm. that um, and I heard this um, when we were talking on your about your podcast with with Coach Petromala, and he was talking about you know the Alabama Crimson Tide and and the New England Patriots and their consistency and the the fact that. You know, game day is what everyone's looking at, but it's really just the part that everyone else gets to see. The wins come on the preparation. The wins come in the off season. The wins come in in sort of those daily grinding practices. And I think that when you're close to elite athletes and you're living with them on a year-round basis, you understand it's about nutrition. It's about you know, maintenance of their physical toll that they go through and and that the game is really just a manifestation of all that hard work. And yeah. I don't think sales is that different. Yeah. Are you paying attention to what's happening in the marketplace? Are you watching who's doing deals in other places? Are you are you seeing which of your competitors is is winning and then figuring out what's making them win so that you can emulate what they're doing? Um, it's all very parallel and it's all very natural to me. I think that because I I was a history major in college and I didn't go to business school, which is something I've always sort of lamented and thought hard about and sort of worried about missing. I've really felt like I needed to learn as I went. And I've been doing that since I was 21 years old. It's like an entrepreneur. Yeah, you have to. Um, So I I had a buyer who once, uh, he was a Midwestern guy who um, I did a lot of deals with. And he bought me this book, you know, The Art of the the Deal by Chester Karras. And I remember he wrote on the inside of it, Vino, this is my investment in you. You know, work hard and and good things are going to happen. And I remember he he said to me, he's like, yeah, I went to a community college. I got a master, but I got a master's of disasters from the school of hard knocks. (laughs) And and I love that. I love that. I I don't know that I could qualify for the master's of disaster from the school (laughs) of hard knocks, but I definitely have an MBA on the fly. I have not. uh, And it's one of the reasons that I enjoy, you know, being exposed to friends of mine who have gone to business school, colleagues here who are business school graduates, and then being on campus, um, the, the handful of times that I've been able to do that. Yeah. So work ethic and consistency, you keep coming back to though kind of the art of just doing and whether that was failed sales calls or pitches, there's a lot of conversation about losses that we're having and, uh, knowing you that, 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 that you, you see, and you position yourself as that the fastest way to improve is off of that from the mechanism of learning and being responsive. When you were in at Cornell as an undergrad, you were selling programs at football games. Yeah. And you took an internship at CBS and your first job, you didn't have a desk or a, or a chair in sports. I got the underside of the chair. <laughs> it was, there was two desks in the office and a chair. But nothing and stopped you from doing. No way. I mean, honestly, um, I I definitely was raised in a home with two parents that uh, emphasized hard work. Um, you know, my parents came from very humble beginnings. I was raised in a very comfortable middle class environment, um, but the fact that my dad slept on the bench in the kitchen of his one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, which he shared with his parents, his sister, and his grandparents, with one bathroom, one bedroom. Um, you know, never was lost on me. And so, um, 
whether that was homework assignments as an elementary school kid or shooting free throws in the backyard because, you know, I wasn't good enough to not take advantage of the free throws. My dad, you know, he echoes in my head today, you got to make the free ones, son. They don't cost anything. You're not, you're not scoring enough. Like you're not, guy, you're yeah. not a good enough shooter to not make the free throws when you get the privilege to have a free one. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's true in work. Um, I think that you got to really, um, Coach Moran used to say, you know, uh, cheat yourself, cheat your teammates. Um, don't cut corners. And um, I, I, I think that's true in work. I think that sales is a really unusual part of the business world where the amount of work you do and how hard you try is directly proportionate with the results you're going to get. And it's one of the reasons that I always loved it. And it's one of the reasons I tell young people that if they have, they think they have what it takes to sell, that they should do it. Because over the course of their careers, 30, 40, 50 years, there's going to be a downturn in the economy. Yeah. And if you can generate revenue and you can drive sales, you'll always have a job. And yeah. that's really a powerful thing. I, I, I didn't realize that when I was 21 years old. I sort of fell into sales. And thank God Coach Moran forced the freshmen on the lacrosse team to sell programs wow. at the football games. Yeah. He did it because he didn't want us in the football tailgates. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to keep us out of the parking lot. And he raised money for the program. So, okay, we might have bellyached to have to be put in our lacrosse jerseys to have to walk up and down the stands during the football games. But I figured we were getting 17 cents commission on every $2 program that we sold. And for me, I was out there. I might as well sell as many of them as I can. <laughs> so, um, so I embraced it. And, um, and I would go home with pride with, you know, $30, $40 in my pocket after the, after the end of, uh, of a game. And, and that was great. I had some money for the week. And the following year when one of the seniors who ran the program and managed the, the freshman you know, offered me the job. Pat Leahy, defenseman, who uh, I uh, all-American defenseman out of uh, Michigan, um, he offered me the job to work with him to run the freshman program. I was thrilled. We got forty dollars guaranteed, and then we got a one cent override on all this program <laughs> yeah. sold. So that was great. I was making like seventy-five, eighty dollars. Yeah. yeah, slightly better uh, comp structure than yeah. The other one. And yeah. then the two of us were selling the ga- the programs ourselves at the basketball and the hockey games Amazing. during the winter. Yeah, I like that. Go out and do. We talk about that to our athletes, even at, at POL, and that's going to be one of our mantras: is that the fastest way to learn is to take action and take massive action. And then with new media and technology, you get instantaneous feedback. When you were first selling, a lot of it was picking up the phone and writing letters. When you look at your industry and then your company sit on top of the industry now, it's one of the most highly sought after uh, occupancies, especially for young talent trying to get into sports. When you're looking at young talent that are walking in the door, applying for positions, and in some cases get through to a focus interview with you, what are some attributes that jump out at you where you're like, I gotta hire that gal or I gotta hire that guy? Yeah, I, I am. Um, it, it gets back to the the sort of philosophy I have with regard to the um, investing. I am. A, I'm a gut person, mm-hmm. and I I feed off of other people's energy. And I feel like that's the first and foremost, most important thing in an interview. If someone approaches a sit down with me and they, they exude confidence and, and yet humility at the same time, I don't know if that's, that's makes sense, but it's, it's an inner confidence and a, um, 
on an appropriate level of humility. Um, I like people who are um, clearly hungry and, and have worked hard for things. When I look at someone's resume, I, I think about um, the way they approached whatever role they had before they were here. I want to hear them talk about their prior experience, and I want them to light up when they tell a story about what they've done because what they've done matters to them. Mm. And I want to know that the next thing they do, which if it's going to come work here, will matter to them. Because that energy and that inner drive and that hunger is going to produce results for us. So, yeah. so to me, um, that's, that's really the general vibe I'm hoping for and looking for. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that includes everything you need to easily cook delicious meals that you can feel good about. Here's how it works. They send you recipes. They're quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and even photos to guide you along. Green Chef sends a wide variety of organic ingredients and imaginative new recipes each week where everything is handpicked and delivered right to your door or apartment center like mine. Ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and most prepped. So if you're like me and on the go, you can't really screw it up. Even the morning after a Green Chef cooked meal for me is wonderful because... The apartment smells so good. The delivery is fast. It's convenient and easy. This week, I went keto. My proteins were chicken, shrimp, and pork. It was great. Ask B-Rob, Mick, and Mike. They still think I'm a good cook. Now, for you suiting up listeners, entrepreneurs of many out there, nutrition is key to bodily and mental horsepower. And right now, you can get $50 off your first box of Green Chef. That's $50 off by going to greenchef.us forward slash Rabel. That's greenchef.us forward slash Rabel. Enjoy. How do you personally summon that energy so consistently throughout an entire career? I, I know a lot of it is innate, but are there any things tactically that you do to get the right mindset, especially when things aren't going well? Yeah. No, look... I think that's a great question, and, and there's no magic formula. Um, I think that looking back over the course of, of decades of doing this job and selling generally, yeah. you, have to, you have to realize there are going to be tough times, and you just have to keep plowing through them and realize that you may have struck out 6, 10, 12, 15 times in a row, but the next play, the next call, the next pitch, the, the next one. meeting – it only takes one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, again, I, I think a lot of the things that I picked up as a kid, whether it was at home from my folks or whether it was playing for coaches, still ring in my head. Yeah. Do the work. Go make the call. Try. Yeah. Dig for the loose ball. You know, whatever you can do. There are days when you're just not playing well. Yep. Are there times you think because of your relationship with Paul and how close you all were that those failed calls, those failed meetings gave you that communicative outlet and that's often missing if, if someone's internalizing everything or secluding themselves? I think it's so hard to sell. And if you're selling by yourself, yeah. it's even harder. At least when you're, at least when you lose, if you're with teammates, you're with friends, you're with colleagues, you can pick each other up. And and if one of you's having a rough day or a rough week or a rough month, 
the other teammate will hopefully pick you up and motivate you. Wow, he's getting back at it. He's out there making a call. Let me make this call. Let me see if I can feed off of his energy. Me and Paul feel so lucky to have been able to share this office for the last 12 years. And Howie and I, Howie's my partner in LA, Mm -hmm. we talk about it all the time of the fact that over the course of a given year, each of us has rough weeks or months, whether it's, it's work-related or just biorhythms or things that are happening in other parts of our lives. The other one can't afford to be struggling when one of us is dark. The other one has to try and yeah. pick the other one up. Yeah. And, and it happens. We find each other. I, I can hear and sense and see in Howie when he's struggling with something. And, and he's, he tries to isolate me from it so it doesn't infect me. Um, and it's really powerful to have teammates like Paul and Howie who, you know, understand the fact that it can't always be perfect, right. that this is hard and you need to, you need to sort of pick each other up when, when times are tough. Yeah. So I, I think that gets back to why I like sharing an office is that yeah. if, if I'm having a tough day, I look over there and I see his red face smiling at me. It, it's harder for me to feel terrible. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I, I loved uh, talking with Jay Williams about was his analogy or what his experience, I should say, with Shane Battier and how Shane Battier was, was always so vocal. And the trick behind Shane's uh, vocality was that he – knew that even when he was playing poorly, if he could encourage a teammate, it, it's it's a two-way benefit. So the teammate gets a, a bump from Shane's encouragement, and Shane gets a bump from the teammate's bump. And, and that's the way he's – Shane Battier is the kind of player that I always tried to be. You know, he was obviously an exceptional player and had an incredible college and professional career. And I've, I've gotten to know him a little bit over the, the years – um, but I just love his work ethic. Mm. I love the fact that he wasn't one of the best shooters in the country, but yet he was one of the best players in the country because he worked hard, he worked hard. and he made, made himself a really impactful NBA teammate by doing that. So I, I think it just gets back to a mentality that, that you know, it applies in athletics and it applies at work. Um, you can really overachieve if you're willing to work hard. Yeah. And I always felt like I needed to overachieve by working hard athletically um, because I, was, I didn't feel like I was good enough to just sort of go half-ass and be good enough. Um, and I think you know basketball and lacrosse are very similar in that regard because there is a, an output that comes from an overexertion of energy. Even if you can't throw and catch and shoot – as skillfully as the best player between the restraining lines, ground balls are a function of how hard you go, how much you want it. And that's what I talked to my son about. And the kids that I coach now is look, there are going to be teams that we're going to match up with. They're just better than us. doesn't mean we're going to lose. They may be lazy. Let's outwork them. Let's out hustle them. Let's out teamwork them. And yeah. it, it works. It's amazing. Yeah. Speaking of basketball, and then you grew up playing baseball as well. In lacrosse, you played at, in college at a very high level. But we were talking earlier that, you know, you still feel a level of fortune for, in a way, stumbling into lacrosse. And yes. there was a, a moment in high school where you were going to stop playing uh, less being named the team's captain. So you followed through. So, so what is it about lacrosse, and, and what was that moment for you where kind of the, the switch flipped on? And So, so I grew up in Westchester County in, uh, uh, in North Tarrytown, New York, and I was fortunate enough to play lacrosse in middle school. 
um, I went to the Hackley school till eighth grade and, and was, um, was playing middle school lacrosse, which was something that was pretty rare in the mm-hmm. mid eighties. Um, and I moved to Chappaqua when I was in eighth grade and I left Hackley and went to public school. Um, and I had planned on becoming a baseball player in my whole life. You know, you asked me what I want to be when I grow up. I wanted to be the shortstop or the center fielder for the Yankees. For the Yankees. That was, that was all it's I all, dreamed about. It's all about pro. It's exactly. <laughs> and, um, and so I was playing Little League Baseball while I was playing lacrosse. And then I got to this new public high school. And I loved the guys. And I loved the environment. And all of the guys that I loved, I played basketball in the winter and and. They were all going out for lacrosse team, and none of them had played middle school lacrosse. So I came in with an advantage, and I I figured, wow, this is great. I could be with these guys that I love, and I can show them how to play, and I was was pretty good. So I played, but I still planned on becoming a baseball player. Maybe 10th or 11th grade, I would start playing baseball. Wow. But the guys that I loved were playing lacrosse, and I had a lot of fun playing lacrosse, and I had some success. But by the time I was a senior, I, I had applied early decision to Cornell. I was fortunate enough to get in. I was really focused on basketball. I had a, had a really great time playing basketball as a senior and had hoped that I would be able to try and walk on the Cornell basketball team since I had gotten in in November or December. And um, when lacrosse season came around, we had our fourth coach for four years. He was uh, a terrific guy named Bill Tribo, who didn't know anything about lacrosse, admittedly, had never played or watched a lacrosse game, <laughs> but he was just being replaced, uh, replacing the guy who had just walked out. We, we, were, um, we were ill-equipped. The team had never had a winning season. And, you know, I think if my friend Tyler Whaling and I and Josh Dammers hadn't been the captains, we would have probably just packed it in and enjoyed the second semester or the spring of our, our senior years. But, you know, our, our folks were, were in our ears. We were, we were captains. We weren't quitting. We don't quit. Yeah. So we played, and we ended up being 14-3, and three and we won the league, and I had wow. some great success. And it was really um, – it was exciting and fun. And, and frankly, um, Coach Moran called me um, at the end of the season, and he said, uh, he said hey, kid – you know, uh, congratulations on a great season. Uh, why don't you come up to the lacrosse office when you get up here? Yeah. And now a friend of mine had been sort of How very, fortuitous. Very, we very. Have a, we have a guy who's an unbelievable talent who's already coming to Cornell. It was, it was, <laughs> so it was very funny. In the winter after I had applied, I called the lacrosse office. To, I had been all league player as a junior in high school. And I said, hey, you know, my friend, one of my teammates who wasn't quite as good as me was being recruited a little bit, not right. like heavy recruit, but he was working with them and talking to the coach. And Coach Keith Reitenbach, who became a very close friend of mine, answered the call and he said, well, son, we know your area real well and no one from your area is going to help our team. Yep. So I said, okay, I hung up the phone and, you know, and that was the end of it, um, but was, was able to sort of have this great senior season and then Coach calls me after the season's over. And I literally, I got the phone call and I said, so is this one of the assistant coaches? You know, who am I speaking with? He's like, no, this is head coach, Richie Moran. (laughs) Get up here, kid. We want to, we want to have you. So, um, Richie's become a very close friend Uh, and obviously legend of our game. I can't imagine, um, what my life would be like had I not continued playing lacrosse because even though we didn't win any championships at Cornell when I was there, um, the guys that were my teammates in those four years are still friends. And frankly, I've made so many important friendships and relationships that have shaped 
me and who I am. And obviously, um, your college years are so important in forming you as a person. And, you know, the work that I did for four years, five hours a day, almost every day, I think really helped me learn how to be an executive because I went after social life pretty hard when I was in college uh, and I enjoyed myself, but I had to always balance practice the next day or workouts or 6 a.m. conditioning. And I think that sort of structure and time management challenge and balance is something that, you know, really carries through with me today. And I think when I think about interviewing young people, I'm always partially um, in favor of someone who committed themselves to being a collegiate athlete. Mm -hmm. I think it's great training for being an executive because you're, you're stressed and challenged in ways that other students aren't. And I think that that um, is something that carries over really well into the workforce. Yeah, you know, what we often find out from our guests is that there's the shared work ethic, humility, there's vision and strategy. But when I get a chance to ask about a recruiting story, it's phenomenal how everyone's is unique. And in a world today where parents, and a lot of them are listening to this podcast and, and kids out there who want to play college lacrosse, they want the blueprint. And there yeah. is none. No. The, 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 some people may sports. present that like, hey, you need to be this good by the time you're in sixth grade. So you get to this high school by the time you're in 12, by the time you're in ninth grade, you're getting recruiting letters and so on. And like, that's certainly a path that maybe uh, you know, the top folks in, in some areas can share, but there's also top folks in, in all sports that are more like you and I that... I'm a believer, you know, as a lot of my um, clients are, that playing a multitude of sports is the best thing a young athlete can do. Um, I talk to parents about it all the time. I, I, I know that this era is, is all about specialization, and I think it's great that people sort of focus on what they're doing, but I do believe it shouldn't come at the expense of other sports. Most of these kids are not going to play at the collegiate level, never mind be professionals, so they should enjoy themselves, yeah. and they should play a lot of different sports because flag football's fun, yeah. baseball's fun, basketball's fun, golf and tennis are fun, yeah. and, and so is lacrosse. But for me, um, you know, I was always playing whatever sport was that season, whether it was soccer or football or basketball or baseball or in this, I went to summer camp. I went to summer camp until I was a junior in college too. And my friends from summer camp are still my best friends. And, and frankly, everyone was always telling me, Oh, you got to play empire state games. You got to go to the top two Oh five camp. Well, yeah. I can't do that. I'd love to be on the empire state team, play lacrosse, but I got to go away to the Adirondacks to, to be in, in camp with my friends and, and, you know, and that, yeah. that it was just as important to making me a successful athlete as a specialization would have been. Yeah, I'll, I'll add around um, playing multi, multiple sports is that you also, whether parents and the players or the athletes know this right now, they're developing more motor skills because different sports put you athletically in different positions and teach you different movement patterns. And then if you are one of the very few that move on to play college sports or professional sports, I've always said I've been lucky because my dad encouraged my brother and I and gave us opportunity through rec sports to play different ones. You can call on those athletic skill sets and those motor skills learned over time and then add that to the sport 
that you're now specializing in. Absolutely right. And different sports challenge a same athlete in different ways. Yep. You know, baseball was always my first love and yet you don't run that much in baseball, hmm. you know? Yeah. You have to run the bases and maybe you're running to go, you know, make a play in the outfield, but you know, soccer challenged me to have, you know, cardio fitness that I would have never had had I not played soccer. Let me ask you a question about this because this is fascinating. I I just gave a speech to Johns Hopkins uh, uh, athletic department and the undergrads there. And the AD, uh, who's wonderful, uh, she had asked me to talk about following your passion. Um, And I challenged that and I've, I've pulled it primarily from mentors in the business sphere that whether it had been Steve Jobs uh, talking to the Graduate School of Business or Scott Galloway here in New York, where where they actually challenged the notion of of following your first love or your passion uh, and say finding what you're really good at is more important and expound upon that level of talent until you become great at it, then then that becomes your passion. So baseball, you said, was your first love. And now lacrosse has become that because you were just better at it and made those connections. Do you feel the same way about career? Or- 100%. I yep. thought you were going to go there on career. You know, honestly, there was no sports industry in 1993, a tiny little cottage industry. And I, you know, I, I had my senior quote in my yearbook was, was from Peter Pan. I'll never grow up, never grow up, not me. And, um, <laughs> that should have been mine. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it still holds true, frankly. I, I think I made a good choice in 1989. But, you know, I was at Cornell where there were a lot of really focused students and a lot of focused students who were focused on their careers. Yep. And I wasn't. I was painting houses with my friends at home trying to make a few bucks. I wanted to go to summer camp and be a counselor and have fun up in the mountains and water ski. But what, what great personal skills you were building. Oh there. my God. It was the best. I wish I could still do it to this yeah. day. Using your hands and, yeah. and people. Oh my God. Um, I haven't painted a house in a while, but <laughs> I, I would, I would still feel like I knew what I was doing if I was up on a 25 foot ladder. Mike and I used to love the winter months because we could shovel driveways for 20 bucks. Yeah. You shovel driveways and paint indoor. Yep. Indoor houses are great. That's a, that's a, like a treat. There's no, there's no sun. There's no rain. Anyway. Um, you know, when it came to getting a job, I had no direction. I did not want to be someone who had to fake it. I didn't know a bond from a stock. I didn't have a passion for Wall Street. I probably would have just gone to Wall Street, I mean, to law school, like yeah. my dad and my uncle had, because I was, I was pretty decent as a reader and writer. Um, but I sat with the president of CBS Sports, who I got to know between my junior and senior year, a guy named Neil Pilsen, who's remained a friend of mine um, all this time. Hmm. And um, he said, so what are you gonna do after college? And um, I said, I don't know, I figured I'd, you know, apply to law school. And, and he's like, why do you want to do that? He's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, well, I, I'd like to have a job like you. You're a lawyer. He says, yeah, but I'm a lawyer. But if I had to go do it again, I would never go to law school. Huh. I got lawyers who work for me and they do business affairs. And it's a great profession and it's an admirable, you know, life. But you certainly don't need to be a lawyer to do my job. He said, only go to law school if you're sure you want to be a lawyer. So I went back to school that year after working at CBS Sports. And actually, that was a eureka moment for me, Um, getting a job between my junior and senior year um, at CBS Sports was very fortunate. A friend of mine, Dave Peritsky, wrote for the Cornell Daily Sun 
who I had been to high school with and college with, he, he had grabbed an application that was at the Cornell Daily Sun and said, Vino, you should apply for this job. It was an internship at CBS Sports, and it required an essay and a, and a transcript and a resume, none of which I had ever had, and a recommendation. But I, I hustled it together, and I sent it in cold and, um, and thought, you know what? If I had to get a job, this wouldn't be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got an interview, thankfully, and the woman in HR said to me, um, you know, what do you know about CBS Sports? And I said, well... I don't know. I, I, I'm a Giants fan and <laughs> I watch CBS. You know, they have the Giant games on Channel 2 here in New York and the Jet games are on Channel 4 and John Madden and, and Pat Summerall do the games. And the TV just looks a little sharper on Channel 2. It's a little bright when I watch Jet games and NBC is really sort of different in that way than CBS. And she looked over the table at me and she's like, that's as good an answer as I can get from a 20-year-old kid <laughs> as there is. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, this is my calling. This is a career where I can just be honest and be myself and not have to pretend in an interview. This is the job. This is the career that I want. Hmm. And, um, and honestly, it has not changed for me since then. I, I really feel lucky to be able to be in an industry that accepts me for my shortcomings and my warts. I did not know what a balance sheet was. I didn't, haven't, you know, had any experience learning about a P&L. I picked it all up along the way, yeah. and I was always very candid about what I didn't know, and knowing what I didn't know helped. But to me, this, the best thing about the sports industry is that I can be myself. And, um, and that level of, of sort of comfort has enabled me to get to build real relationships and connect with buyers and colleagues and clients in ways that I think has really helped me along yeah. the way. Yeah. As you have now built this career and, and you know, from a work ethic standpoint, working with a number of agencies, figuring out that path, we had mentioned earlier in the podcast how you founded uh, and helped continue to really build CAA sports on the original team. Now you all think about sports differently. So it's not just talent representation. It's not just the endorsements. It's the stadium rights deals. It's major media rights deals. So what is the, what's the vision and, and what gets you so excited about sports as it has changed so much over time? And really, you know, tying back into PLL, why the opportunity is now versus 10 years ago, or two years ago, or two years from now, is the convergence of new tech and media. Yeah, I, look, I think that um, you're 100% right. And and looking back at 93, when this was a tiny little cottage industry, um, we have been very, I have been very fortunate to have had my first 25 years of my career be an incredible bull market for the sports industry. Um, it's a it's it's an incredible bull market because of the changes and the evolution of mass media. Mm-hmm. Television is at the heart of what makes sports visible. Absolutely. The DVR has sort of enabled people to view other sources of content at different times and in different ways absorb their content as they choose. Sports is still the last bastion of must-see reality programming that's best watched live. Um, and that is driven the ecosystem it's made distributors want to spend the money that they've spent to program live sports and that has sort of trickled down across the entire um, industry so there's an audience there 
audiences are fragmented now with all the different media outlets. And that brings advertiser interest to try and attract the mass audience and spend money on that. And it's, um, it's something that is really fortunate. And I think that while fragmentation has continued to erode sort of some traditional outlets on linear television, the advent and the influx of new distributors, Facebook, the Fang companies, and and others that will emerge over the course of time has sort of pumped new energy and air into the ecosystem of sports. Hmm. And it's made the old line players and establishment have to spend more. And it's an ongoing cycle that I believe the PLL is in the middle of. Yeah. There has never been a time when people can consume the best lacrosse in the world throughout the course of the year. You had to basically catch a college game or catch the, the tournament for a few weekends, and yeah. that was it. And, and I, I think that now the exciting thing for us on the PLL is that this is going to tour around 14 cities to start with, and you're going to be able to go see it live once or twice a year if you decide you want to, but you can stream it on NBC Gold Pass. You can watch it on NBC or NBC Sports Network, and it's there for you. And now all of a sudden a generation of kids are going to grow up imitating these players and and watching them on a week-to-week basis and that's going to hopefully feed you know even more excitement and interest in this sport vino's aptitude is so great it's no wonder why he's been able to close on so many of those deals if you enjoyed vino and my conversation as always please be sure to let us know and you can do so by either shooting me or the PLL a note over Twitter. I'm at Paul Rabel, and the Premier Lacrosse League is now at Premier Lacrosse. You can be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with PLL's co-founder and CEO, my older brother Mike. We recorded our latest episode the night of the PLL's launch. His and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, when you find us, please hit subscribe and give us a rating and review. Those go a long way. Check out this episode's show notes on suitinguppodcast.com. And thank you to today's show sponsors, Green Chef, ZipRecruiter, and Podium. Until next time, the next episode of Creating the PLL. We have two more exciting times. Exciting times.